Hi, my name is Aman Ali and I'm a Community Ambassador at Genomics England and you are listening to the G Word podcast. My role at Genomics England is a very interesting one. As a Community Ambassador, my role is to engage Muslim communities in the UK uh, and their engagement with Genomics England. And today we're going to be talking about a very interesting subject and we're going to be looking at the attitudes towards health and medical research within Muslim communities. And joining me today, I have two wonderful ladies from Muslim Census, an independent organisation committed to collecting representative data to highlight the issues faced by Muslim communities who will be helping us to understand more about this subject. So joining me today, I've got Zaina Asad, who is a Muslim Census project manager and has a background as an economist, and also May Shahab, who's a researcher at Muslim Census, who's got an educational background and a master's in surgery and currently a fourth year medical student as well. So she's got a lot on her plate. Uh, so welcome to May and Zena. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, we're doing well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, likewise, doing very well. Uh, it's amazing to have you both on the podcast and really uh, happy to see you both. So first of all, guys, tell me a bit more about Muslim Census uh, and about the work that you guys do at Muslim Census. Uh, yeah, sure. So as you know, well, as you just said, Muslim Census is an independent organization and we basically aim to reduce data gaps in the Muslim community by collecting data on Muslims through surveys. And um, we were set up about two years ago, kind of following on from the COVID-19 pandemic when, um, as you're probably aware, there was a lot of kind of ethnic minorities were disproportionately represented in the cases and deaths which led to our co-founder Sardi to kind of dig into this a bit more and dig into what data is there actually available on ethnic minorities and specifically Muslims. Yeah I think similarly I, my work at Genomics England started around Covid as well and one of the reasons why we got in touch with Muslim Census so there was a, a partnership between Genomics England and Muslim Census to understand the attitudes that Muslims have towards medical research and the, one of the reasons was was there was a COVID study done, uh, which was looking at why disproportionately people from ethnic minority backgrounds were having more severe symptoms when it came to COVID. And we thought that it's really important that we engage Muslim communities uh, in research, which is conducted around genomics uh, for many reasons, which we'll probably go into a bit later. But we really wanted to understand why is, what attitudes they have. And so we came up with this study uh, that Muslim Census very kindly led for us on. And so, May, I want to ask you, Tell us a bit about the context of this study that we kind of collaborated together on. Yeah, so um, it was actually really encouraging from our side to see that genomics reached out to us um, to do the study because I think it's quite well known that uh, ethnic minorities are really un underrepresented in health research. So this is nice to see that there's sort of a proactive effort to kind of try and understand um, the attitudes towards healthcare research um, amongst Muslims. I'm going to hand this part over to Zaina and then I'll follow up. Um, yeah, sure. So it's as May said, really like ethnic minorities or ethnically diverse people, whatever term you prefer, um, have been like massively underrepresented in like genomic data sets and research. Um, so one study found that about 90% of studies only include white European individuals, which is about 16% of the world's population. So obviously these studies are kind of missing about 84% of the world's population. Um, and so applying the findings of these studies 
can be quite dangerous because they're not really representative. Um, so basically, with we wanted to understand like the reasons why there is this lack of representation. Um, there are studies on different ethnic minorities groups which have found that ethnic minorities tend to have different views about genomics and are maybe less engaged with health research. So we wanted to find out if this was true for the Muslim community, um, who are made up of like many different ethnic groups but there is this preconception that Muslims beliefs might influence how they engage with health research and health professionals so we just wanted to dig into that. Yeah I think Zaina touched on a really important point about sort of why Muslims because it's very easy to think oh Islam's a religion how come you're targeting Muslims and I think for a lot of Muslims if not most Islam is sort of a lifestyle for its followers and by that lifestyle, Muslims then make decisions on pretty much everything. Therefore, so something like a study like this um, allows us to see whether decisions are linked to religion or culture and the best way to sort of dispel any misconceptions and encourage Muslims to take part in research if the limiting factor is religion. And again, like Zaina said, the more diverse the research, the more reliable it's going to be for the population and it's going to allow for better patient care. I think this is a huge thing amongst Muslims to sort of into. You make a really excellent point there about kind of the diverse data leading to better treatments and uh, and better out health outcomes as well. And Zena, you mentioned right at the bidding, what, what percentage of most genetic studies focus on white European population? Like 90%. 90%. So, uh, and then that represents what, 16% or of the global population? Yeah. So it almost like if you think about a, a slice of pizza, we're only literally understanding one slice of that entire picture. So I guess one of the kind of really big motivations we had is we want to shine a light on that 84%, uh, the rest of the population as much as we can. And it's really, and obviously you won't, we won't be able to understand all of that picture, but engaging with Muslim communities allows you to understand uh, a, a quite a significant portion of that big piece that we're talking about as well. So we decided upon doing a study. Uh, so how, were we, how, how did we actually understand the attitudes that Muslims had towards health research and medical research? How did we go about doing that? So just a little disclaimer before we go into it. We actually ended up serving around a thousand Muslims. Now we know, speaking of the little slice of pizza that we currently have, this is also a little slice of the Muslim population. Um, and we're aware it doesn't reflect on attitudes of all Muslims, but this is a really good starting point we found for us to be able to help genomics to understand health research in our population group. Zaina was the project manager on this, so I'm gonna let her talk about um, sort of how we did it, and then we can talk about results and that kind of thing. Yeah, sure, thanks May. So yeah, we basically conducted the research through an online survey, which was sent around to our subscriber base and our social media channels. Um, so as May said, yeah, over a thousand Muslims living in the UK responded to the survey. Um, obviously, that's not every Muslim in the UK, but we did weight the data by age, gender and ethnicity to make sure that our sample was representative of the Muslim community um, as a whole, as per the 2011 um, census data. Um, of course, it is true that Muslims who are already interested in this stuff might be more likely to fill it out, but we think given the sample size, given that we've weighted the data, we're confident that this can provide a viable insight into the attitudes of Muslims. Um, and as May said, it's a useful starting point to inform engagement with Muslims. Fantastic. So what did we learn from those thousand people that took place in the study? So some of our key findings were that 86% of Muslims 
found health research to be very important. And 56% said they'd be willing to participate if asked. However, it was quite interesting to see that only 22% of respondents had actually previously taken part in health research, even though there was this big sort of commitment to wanting to take part. Um, and only 4% of those had taken part in genetic research, which is kind of a little bit more understandable because it is a bit more niche than health research in general. Yeah, so that's really interesting. So that, that's basically telling us loads of Muslims would be interested because uh, they see it as very important, but many of them haven't had the chance maybe, or what are some of the reasons you feel that people haven't taken part in, in, in research? Yeah, I think it shows there's sort of a little bit of a gap between those carrying out the research and the community. And there's sort of a need for community engagement projects to fill that gap and reach out because there is there is a willingness there to get involved. Maybe it's just the information isn't reaching the Muslim community. And you mentioned information. Information is a really key point there because I think one of the things that was uh, explored within the study was information-seeking behaviours of Muslims. Uh, and so what did we learn about that in particular? So this was actually another quite interesting thing that we found when we looked into our data um, in like the number crunching. And we found that Muslims are actually very similar to the rest of the population in terms of where they seek their healthcare information, with 73% saying that the NHS is their go-to source for medical information. So it just shows that it's the most trusted one. And I think this again highlights that although, yeah, there does need to be community engagement projects, we also can't look past the importance of mainstream um, just using the NHS um, and the resources that are already available to us. Fantastic. I, I mean, I, I know, for, for example, I always go to I, I go to Google and then I'll type in something and, and then I'll go to the NHS website as the first link I, I'll look to, to look at and I'll, I'll, I'll probably won't look at anything else. And then if there's something information available on there, then I'll access it. Uh, but I know that my parents, uh, they probably wouldn't do the same. They probably would ask me to find out something or they'd call the GP they love going to the GP because uh, we have an open surgery at 11 o'clock in the morning which apparently isn't the case around the country usually you have to wait two three weeks for an appointment uh, but there is that difference isn't it and was there a difference that we saw between generations or kind of people from different backgrounds uh, or was it the same across uh, across the board when it came to Muslim demographics that's actually quite good that your GP has that um, option it's quite nice to hear um, I normally very overworked but yeah, we also found that, so the older, I'm not sure Zaini might have the exact numbers, but the older population tend to go to friends and family more, whereas the younger population tend to go online. And I think it's one of those where it's where trust is built. So the older population is just used to and trusts friends and family, whereas we are a lot more comfortable sort of online. So that's our number one source of information. Zaini, is there anything you wanted to add on that? Yeah, no, I think I just echo what... May has said that there was kind of a generational difference and that younger Muslims um, were more likely to go online. I think there was also a bit of a generational difference in that younger Muslims rated health research as more important than those older than them. Um, so I think there are maybe like generational gaps, but I think, yeah, the younger Muslims are a useful avenue to kind of maybe influence older generations through like online research. I think that's a really important point because I think when, especially talking about community engagement and we're trying to especially as my my work with Jomasin as a community ambassador is to engage Muslim communities. And I'm thinking, okay, what this research is telling me is that if I want to get through to the older generation, those who may not be so tech savvy, those who may not be familiar with kind of energy, knowing that even the NGS website exists where you can find out lots of information, 
uh, about different uh, health related issues that okay if i want to target them then i should target younger people their children or their nephews and nieces and then through them i'll be able to engage that older generation uh, so that was a really useful insight for me personally from the perspective of kind of organizing community engagement it's not a case where i have to go directly and figure out ways how am i going to get to that older generation actually the the conduit for it is the younger generation uh, itself so Moving on a, a bit and trying to try and understand what motivates Muslims to take part in research, because we've established that most Muslims view health research as very important. And most say, uh, well, just over half said that they would participate if they were asked. But we know that we have this gap, that only 22% have taken part in generic health research and even fewer when it comes to genomic, uh, genetic research. So what, what did we understand in terms of what motivates Muslims to take part in research? This was one of the things we looked into in our study, and actually most Muslims said that they were more likely to take part in research if they were familiar with the institution conducting the research, um, which I think really links to this whole idea of like trust and transparency, that when Muslims talked about where they went to information, the reason they went to the NHS was because they trusted the NHS and it was reliable. So I think this is quite a theme that we're seeing throughout the research and that yeah, Muslims are more likely to seek information and also take part in research from institutions that they're familiar with. And then the kind of second factor was if the study benefited the development of medicine in society more broadly and kind of across the piece Muslims tended to select factors based on positive collectivist outcomes as opposed to individualistic reasons, um, which I think makes sense. I mean, anecdotally in the Muslim community there is a strong sense of community so I do think it makes sense that what we're seeing in the findings is that Muslims want to take part in research kind of because of societal reasons because of the community and um, some felt that they had like a duty to benefit their community this was something that was mentioned quite a lot in our kind of open text answers this idea of duty and supporting society more widely. I think that was a really another really crucial insight that we got from the study is that the motivations of collectivist uh, kind of reasoning for taking part in research. Often, uh, if I was to ask, if someone was to ask me, okay, well, what would make you take part in research? And I'll think, okay, how would I personally benefit? Uh, what would I directly get from taking part? And that would motivate me personally. But from this study, it's showing that a lot of people actually they're more concerned about their community uh, and also future generations as well. And I think. One of the one of the big things that I've been, I've just, the penny dropped for me a couple of weeks ago is that taking part in genetic research in, in particular is saving lives for the future. So it's not a case where you might direct benefit. The treatments may not be created in your lifetime for breast cancer or prostate cancer or any other kind of genetically related diseases that exist out there. But it's a case where it's a duty that people have mentioned. It's almost been a reminder for myself that I enter make sure that I've got my motivations correct in that it might be my future generation, my children, my ch my children's children who benefit from me taking part in research now. Uh, and that was a really kind of poignant moment that I, reflection that I had. I don't know, May, if you had, uh, or Zeno, if you had any anything to add to that. Uh, yeah, definitely. I guess I was going to make kind of a more broader point. I don't know if it fits into this particular area. Um, but I think like one thing, if we're talking about kind of the reasons for taking part, um, I think it's important to reflect that like Muslims aren't just a homogenous group, that there are different ethnic 100%. groups, we've already seen difference in generations, like for example like black, African and Caribbean Muslims were the least likely to take part, with about like 21% of them willing to take part in health research, 
compared to 56% of Muslims overall. Um, and there have been other studies that shown there is less willingness amongst black, African and Caribbean individuals to take part in health research, um, like due to racism and other factors. Um, so I think it's important to kind of look at, obviously look at these findings, look at statistically what Muslims saying, but also recognise there are differences within the community and that needs to like, inform our engagement as well and how we look at what motivates Muslims to take part in research because there are different communities within the community. Exactly, like there's not such a thing as Muslim community, is there? Uh, it's it's loads of communities who come together and, and, and make the supposedly Muslim community. You've got Muslims from South Asian background, you've got Muslims from Arab descent, you've got Muslims from uh, North Africa, uh, mainland Africa, you've got Muslims from around the globe. And the demographic uh, is very, very diverse and not just different beliefs, but different kind of cultures. And, and you're right, if, if there's going to be any engagement, it can't be a case where, oh, we're going to engage the Muslim community in one way and that's going to fit all of them and everyone's going to respond equally. Zaini, you mentioned a, a really important point there and maybe May can help as well, is that we, we, we've spoken a bit about what motivates people to take part, but what, and you mentioned, you alluded to it uh, a bit as to what makes people not want to take part in the health research. What did we understand in regards to that? I just wanted to add um, one more point regarding the, the different ethnicities and communities within the Muslim community. The biggest thing I noticed from this um, study was it's not a one glove fits all approach and the importance of sort of realizing what works for different communities and different ethnicities and cultures within our larger community. And I'm going to come to your point um, about what maybe deters Muslims away from um, healthcare research. And so we found that the biggest thing that pushes them towards it is if there's sort of trust with that organization and if that organization is transparent. So it makes sense that on the flip side, if there's no trust with that organization, that's sort of the thing that pushes Muslims away. And another thing was Muslims really value sort of ethics being taken highly into consideration, which sort of, it makes sense in the community in, that we live in. I'm going to let Zaina build on this one. Yeah, sure. So another reason for that wanting to take part in research was if it had been reviewed by the ethics com committee to make sure that those kind of ethical values were there. Um, in terms of what pushes Muslims away, um, most had concerns about the risks of taking part in research, whether there's health risks, and a lot also felt that they didn't know enough about what is involved in health research. But there were differences in reasons like given by different ethnic groups. So a majority of Arab Muslims and Indian Muslims would not trust that those doing the research would have their best interests at heart. And compared to like Pakistani Muslims or um, Muslims from mixed or English ethnicities who felt uninformed about health research proceed procedures. Um, so I think it just this just kind of highlights the need for engagement and education within the Muslim community because if a big part is that people feel like they don't know enough about what's involved in health research, they don't know enough about health research procedures, I think kind of making sure that Muslims start educating on these things and kind of doing that outreach could be really useful. Yeah, I think also another thing we um, saw in our study is that older Muslims said their lack of time is the number one reason that they're not participating. Uh, so I think another way to sort of tackle that is just to highlight the importance of health research so that dedicating time towards it is something that's taken more as a priority. Yeah, I'll share an example here. I mean, one of the one of the ways that we myself assisted uh, Genomics England in its COVID-19 study was 
I realized we need to make it easier uh, for Muslim communities to get involved. Number one, like Zayn mentioned, they don't know how to get involved or what's involved. That, and that was for the first challenge. And then the second challenge is making it easy for them. Because um, it, it might be time, there might be a time cost. There might be like, you might have other things during the day and, and, and that fits low in terms of your priority, in terms of your agenda for the day. So one of the things that we did was uh, we had uh, wherever the study was traveling across the country to recruit participants, I would find the local mosque. And on a Friday, I'd encourage you to do their stall on a Friday or on the weekend. And I'd say on the Friday, I'm going to get the local mosque to make an announcement that this study is taking place and we want people to take part in the research. And just say that literally around the corner is where you can take part. There's, there's going to be a stall or there's a, a hotel or a venue that's been booked just around the corner from the mosque. Literally on your way out, you can take part. And and I, and I think that led to an uptake in people taking part in, in research studies in, in that COVID-19 study. So I think two excellent points there that we need to make it very clear how it is that they can get involved. And the announcement did that. And secondly, make it easy for them. Uh, and we know that majority, a lot of Muslims, not majority maybe, but a lot of Muslims do attend Friday prayers. And, and that's an excellent way to engage Muslim communities in, in, in the UK. Uh, but just going back to kind of understanding a bit more about why we're focusing on Muslims, because uh, people might be wondering, why is it that this one uh, community or communities has been focused on? Uh, actually, this ambassador program that I'm a part of, I'm just focusing on Muslim communities with a long-term view. But there's other community ambassadors focusing on other uh, groups within the UK as well. But just to focus just for a moment on the Muslim communities in the UK, Muslim community demographics, Zaina, can you shed a light on what the de that demographic looks like in the UK? Because you mentioned Muslim census data, uh, it's not Muslim, uh, the census data from 2011. And I know that census has just been repeated last year and we're looking forward to, to more data coming out and we don't know what the answers are yet. But what are the demographics like in the Muslim community in the UK? Um, yeah, sure. So I think there's um, a mix of demographics of Muslim demographics in the UK. I think there's definitely a majority South Asian from a South Asian background, but there's also like black African and Caribbean Muslims, there's Arab Muslims, there's a small minority which are from a white Caucasian background. Um, so there's really just like a, a huge mix of ethnicities like within the UK. And that what with that ethnicity, ethnic diversity being prevalent within the Muslim community, what, what potential does that have for Muslim engagement in health research? Um, I think it basically means that like, if you're kind of getting more Muslims to participate, just by default you're getting a, a huge mix of ethnic, different ethnic backgrounds to participate, um, just because of the fact that the Muslim community is so diverse. Obviously it does mean that we need to think about how we engage with Muslims, because there's so many ethnic backgrounds, as we've talked about, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, there needs to be that nuance, but I think it basically means that if you're engaged with Muslims more, if Muslims participate more, you're capturing many different ethnic groups. And that has a global impact, right? I mean, I know that Genomics England, the treatments that they are looking to innovate, are not only going to benefit communities in the UK, but globally as well. Uh, and in order for those treatments, like you mentioned right at the beginning, for them to be most appropriate or kind of uh, most effective for global populations, having engagement from Muslim communities who come from South Asian backgrounds, from African backgrounds, uh, from uh, uh, other backgrounds as well, uh, Arab communities as well. I mean, you get insight into those uh, geographic areas around the globe as well. And then hopefully whatever treatments that we might uh, kind of in, uh, innovate in the UK can be not only of a benefit to 
people in the UK but globally as well and I, that for me there's a huge potential there and a huge motivation for me in particular to engage Muslim communities in health research uh, I don't know May uh, having a medical background yourself uh, any insight you have on that yeah no I agree I think increasing engagement in healthcare research is one thing genetic research it's up and coming the more your population is representative of the actual population the more we'll be able to study gene variants and sort of understand the effect of diseases and how it will outcome different patients because yeah we might understand how a certain disease works but we won't know how it works um, and presents in different ethnic groups so that's really really important for us to understand so I think that's the number one thing that really excited me about this project when it came through and you mentioned uh, genetic research is up and coming and it's not as well known and it's not as uh, established as maybe health research to do with cancer or to do with uh, a number of other kind of uh, health issues so one of the key things that we also understood from the study was what the attitudes that muslims have towards genetic research so i don't know if you guys want to shed a light on what we learned about that and what attitudes muslims have towards genomics um, yeah, sure. I think what we found was that Muslims' attitudes to health research was quite similar to the attitudes to genetic research. Um, so they didn't really distinguish that much between the two kind of genetics and health separately. They kind of saw them both quite similar. Um, and in terms of Muslims' familiarity with the population, I don't, with genetic research, I don't quite have the figures to hand, but it was quite in line with the general population in terms of familiarity. So I think that's kind of what we saw. But I think we did see that the younger generation were more likely to view genetic research as positively compared to the older generation. Yeah, so the figures are sort of 22% of Muslims um, are familiar with sort of terms related to genomics. So maybe DNA, genetics, genomics. Um, and that is, like Zaina said, broadly similar to the general population, which is around 25%. I think the fact that it is up and coming means that maybe less people are aware of it. And then more, more the reason to engage those communities in uh, to bridge that gap, right? Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. So uh, on the back of kind of the amazing study that you guys did, uh, where you really did help shed a light on, on some of the attitudes that Muslim communities have towards health research and, and genetic research as well, yeah, you also came up with a number of recommendations uh, as well for how, how engagement can improve and just recommendations in general. So what, what were some of those recommendations that you have for Genomics England or the wider kind of health research environment? Yeah, so I think importantly first to touch on that in our study on sort of attitudes towards the future, over 70% of our respondents said that they were hopeful about where developments in science and tech are going. So again, just shows a willingness to sort of learn more and participate more. Um, in terms of recommendations, I think there needs to be some sort of like roadmap with certain stages. So raising awareness, like you mentioned earlier on, sort of the opportunity for people to ask questions, find out the answers to them. And then the final stage is sort of how to get involved. Like we've mentioned earlier, I think it's really important to sort of diversify the sources and information that we provide to Muslims and in what ways we give them to Muslims and the community in general. Like we've mentioned, only 25% sort of know about genomics. So again, it's not a one glove fits all approach. From the feedback that we got on this report, we got that social media infographics work for some groups, videos in different languages. Like you mentioned earlier on about standing outside on Fridays, outside mosques and sort of 
pointing to people towards the right direction. So local events and mosques, university Islamic societies. And another really nice one, I think, is personal stories. I think we've seen that Muslims are more likely to participate in research if they see it benefiting others and their local community. Uh, so if we put out these personal stories and make them available, Muslims are more likely to sort of see exactly where this research is going. And like we mentioned, like trust and transparency. So the more transparent, the more likely you are to, to get involvement. You're right. And building on that point of trust, there was, there was quite a big concern around data, isn't it? And data, uh, how data is going to be used. Uh, that was a big kind of, uh, kind of key result that came out of the study. Do you want to elaborate a bit more about what you guys learned about how Muslims feel about data and how data is going to be used? Yeah, so um, we actually found that 80% of Muslims are concerned about data security. Uh, in the overall population, that percentage is a lot lower, at around 25%. So I think that's something that needs to be sort of rectified before expecting the Muslim community to completely trust research. But again, like we've seen from the data, there is a willingness. So I think hand in hand, something can definitely be done there. Yeah, I think we're definitely pushing against an open door, uh, as one of my colleagues at Genomics England uh, said, that there's an open door here. We just need to enter that door with transparency and honesty and also to give that reassurance that whenever, whatever research that we're going to be undertaking, that your data will be protected and it's only going to be used in a, in a manner which is uh, we've got your consent for and, and in an ethical manner as well. And that we need to build that trust beforehand. We can't just expect, oh, hey, here are the benefits for you as an individual and more importantly, you as a community. So take part, know that trust needs to be built uh, and that naturally will only uh, occur over time. Uh, so yeah, for, uh, really, uh, I think that's a good place to kind of kind of bring our conversation towards a, a conclusion. Uh, and I want to thank Mary and Zaina for coming on uh, to our podcast today and, and shining a light on the attitudes that Muslims have towards health research and medical research as well. Do you guys have any exciting new projects that you guys are working on uh, at Muslim Census that our viewers and, and listeners may be interested in, maybe potentially even take part in if we have any uh, Muslim listeners taking uh, listening in? Uh, yeah, we've actually got a cost of living survey coming up, which is kind of looking at the impacts of the rising cost of living on the Muslim community. And so that should go live in early September, and we're hoping to publish the report and findings in October. So definitely look out for that. Um, and if there are any Muslim listeners, we're also recruiting volunteers at the moment. Bit of a shameless self-plug, um, but just want to mention it. Fantastic. And how, how can people find out about the survey? Is there a website they can visit or social media that they can... Yeah, so the survey will be published on our website and also on our Twitter and Instagram pages. Fantastic. So you've heard it there, guys. Uh, so if you're interested in, in taking part in that research, and I, th I think definitely I would because cost of living is really affecting uh, many of us. Uh, so definitely encourage people to take part in that. And also keep an eye out for uh, the Genomics England page, uh, the work that we're going to be doing in gaining Muslim communities. It definitely is a long-term commitment. Uh, one of the wonderful things that's made me, me proud uh, and motivated to work with Genomics England is that it's not just this one study that they've done and okay, we found out a bit of information about the Muslim community. I'm just going to leave it on the shelf. On the back of this study, there's a long-term program of engagement that's been agreed upon. Uh, which I'm going to be involved in and other, other people are going to be involved in as well. And there's a long-term commitment uh, towards improving that engagement uh, with genomics and, and genetic research and health research in general as well. Uh, so definitely watch this space uh, and keep an eye out for more engagement projects and more podcasts that we're going to be recording 
uh, in regards to understanding Muslim attitudes and engagement with Muslim communities. Uh, so with that, we'll bring our GWED uh, podcast session to an end. Uh, once again, big thanks to Maya and Zaina and also to all the listeners uh, for joining in as well. And um, yeah, it's been great being on the podcast and thank you for hosting us. Thank you so much. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening to this discussion about the G word and for joining us on this journey to highlight and debate the implications of genomics as it comes to the mainstream of healthcare and society. You can find out more about Muslim Census and their work by visiting muslimcensus.co.uk or you can visit their social media handles at Muslim Census. If you have any views on these topics or have a person in mind you would like us to interview, do write to us at podcast at genomicsengland.co.uk. Remember to subscribe to The G Word on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. And if you've enjoyed listening today, give us a five-star review because it will really help us to reach out to other people who can find out about our series. We appreciate your support very much. And until the next time, I'm Aman Ali. See you on the next episode of The G Word.